0: Something to drink? If you need more coffee to warm you up, please feel free to. It's gotten a little warmer in here, but it still has a little bit of ways to go. All right, well, we're gonna. I'm gonna pray again this morning, and um, and then we're just gonna have some time in the Word and, and with Jesus. Uh, Lord, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for this time that. You have put us together, Lord God, I thank you for your word today. I thank you that's a living and breathing and active word. And Lord, I thank you that you continually speak and and, um, and minister to us. Lord, I pray that you would do it again today. Lord, I thank you that this message has to be from your heart. And um, and I really just ask that you would just minister through me. And as my grandpa would say, and, the, and the, as David, the psalmist says, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Well, um, this is a really raw word because I just found out at nine a.m. that I was preaching to you. And uh, but as I was coming here, and I I was thinking and asking the Lord what to talk to you about. Um, I was thinking about a couple of things, and and I'm gonna and it's also because of things that I have faced and am facing. And so a lot of times the best ways that most preachers preach is from their own life. You know, um, I remember, you know, growing up with my grandpa and you're and as a kid and as my mom, as you know, his kid, you usually are the greatest illustrations people give to the church. So a lot of times my grandpa would go, I learned this lesson from God through this situation with Tiffany. You know, And as you're embarrassed and dying on the front row, um, someone goes, that touches me. And you think, well, God, thank you for redeeming that moment in my life. And uh, But that's how it goes sometimes. And God always uses our own lives as examples to others about what he can do. And um, sometimes it's broadcasted by a microphone. And sometimes it's just known by the people around us. And so today I felt like this thing of, of what I have been facing myself is what steals your hope? And I feel like hope is, is such an important thing that you will have two things always connected to hope, and that's faith and belief. And, and there's, we live in a world that is really hopeless. You know, it's funny. I went to go see Avengers Endgame, which is like the big thing right now. And I went opening night because I did not want one person to spoil it. And it's funny because over in China, they had already watched it. So these Chinese people were releasing spoilers, and I'm like, I love YouTube, and I couldn't get on YouTube for like a whole week, and I was like, I can't get on because people keep spoiling stuff for me, you know, and, um, but, you know, and it was funny because what it spoiled for me was the hope and anticipation I had to see and what was going to come to pass, And, and so even in that little way, I was just like, I don't want my hopes dashed, you know, I don't want someone to steal something as still a bit of joy from me. From seeing something because they've already experienced it and some people they just like to do it They like to steal hope and you know We have encountered people in our lives or situations in our life or a world that actually likes to steal hope from people And and so how do we become because it says that his hope and his joy is an anchor to our soul That we are the hope givers, you know, I have uh, young people uh, who love Jesus? There's a girl that I know that she um, is a singer and she has a Christian album, whatever. And one of her shirts says "Hope Dealer" instead of "Dope Dealer." So you know, and I always thought that's clever. You know, she says, "I'm a dealer of hope," and at the same time, we are supposed to be hope dealers. We're supposed to be those who give hope to each other. But it's not a false hope. It's a real hope that anchors our soul. And, um, and so I'm going to pull from two different scriptures that are going to feel really far apart from each other. But I'm hoping that, and I pray to the Lord, they come together, you know, because they come together in my mind, but hopefully it comes out the same way. And so um, they're both in Mark. So if you will turn to Mark chapter three, Mark chapter three. All right, in in Mark chapter 3, I'm going to start reading. This is a man with a paralyzed hand. Says, then, Jesus went back to the synagogue where there was a man who had a paralyzed hand. These pages are sticking together. Some people were there who wanted to accuse Jesus of doing wrong. So they watched him closely to see whether he would cure the man on the Sabbath. Now, a pause here. When they anything on the Sabbath, you weren't allowed to do anything. I mean, it was almost like you couldn't even pick up a pencil. You know, when it was the Sabbath, it was the Sabbath. You couldn't cure, you couldn't do. I mean, healing, for one, it's interesting to me that they were offended by Jesus healing on the Sabbath because they felt like God almost didn't do anything on the Sabbath himself because they they took it, you know, when God rested. So they rested. So for them to see God doing a miracle on his day off, to them was offensive because it went against everything they believed in their head about God and what he was going to be like. So they really were trying to trap him to see if he was going to do something, in a sense to even accuse him more to say this is not someone who obviously does not work like how our, our God works. Jesus said to the man, come here to the front. Then he asked the people, what does our law allow us to do on the Sabbath? to help or to harm, to save someone's life or to destroy it. But they did not say a thing. Jesus was angry as he looked around at them. But at the same time, he felt sorry for them because they were so stubborn and wrong. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and and became well again. So the Pharisees left the synagogue and met at once with some members of Herod's party, and they made plans to kill him. Now, what does this have to do with hope? For me, I was thinking about that there's sometimes in life when Jesus is in this situation, we have the world and we have those who are really hurting. You know, for this man who was paralyzed and he had a paralyzed hand, we don't know his backstory, but we know that something happened in his life that paralyzed something that was of vital use to him, which is his hand. You know, and I I don't know, I I fractured my hand when I was 21 years old, no, 19 years old, and I remember how much having my little hand in a bracelet for about three to six months, how much that paralyzed everything I did, you know, I mean, even from brushing my hair, getting dressed, to how it affected the way that I lived, and it's amazing to me that I knew that there was going to be a time that it came off but you had to adjust to being disabled. You had to adjust to having something that made your world completely different. And I thought, you know, sometimes we live paralyzed because the world has taken hope from us. Things have happened in our lives that maybe we didn't expect or a hurt came into our life that really broke us. I think every single person in this room, if I said, is there something in your life that you thought would happen it didn't happen? I think all of us would say yes. You know, or maybe the timing of it wasn't the timing you thought it would happen. We all have encountered, even lost, probably in a way, whether it was a person or whether it was a situation in our life that we still have questions about. And it, and it leaves this thing on almost like this thing on our wrist that paralyzes us. And it makes us go, can I be whole again? Can I understand this situation well again? And, and it's amazing that Jesus always comes to hear, heal what's paralyzed in us. He always does. He wants to. But in this situation, the men around the story were, of course, trying to pin Jesus around, you know, is he going to heal this person? But we have people and we have a world in this life that don't want our healing. That try to trap us in a place that instead of going, this man needs help. Or where's the hope that this man has? That this man has finally come to the place where he can be whole. There was such intent in their heart to make Jesus look so bad that in the same way they were so intent of showing what Jesus couldn't do than to what Jesus could do in that moment in saving this man's life, changing the way this man lives. Because even with my own self, when I took off that brace, it was funny how I still feel in my arm at times the pain of of having it fractured. You know, but... It's amazing how my life did go back to normal. I have been able to use my hand in a way that I didn't when it was bound up. And I think that there's so many times that our life can become paralyzed that we often go, how can I use this hand again? And Jesus always comes to us to show us that he wants to bring wholeness to the thing that has felt like it was going to destroy us or the thing that we didn't understand or the pain that we can't get. You know, people still ask, why does bad happen in a world that God is in control of? And the thing is that what's really hard with it is that we all have a choice. And that choice affects every other person. That's why if there's a message of a sloppy grace that says, you know, he he forgives you, he does. He absolutely forgives us, but that we can live however we want. That's like someone getting into a car drunk and saying, you know, I'm forgiven, but it doesn't matter how many lives I take out. And, and, and why I say it like that is that our choices every day affect somebody else. You know, every single day. Now, will God forgive us of those things and wash us and make us new? Yes. But he wants to transform our hearts and transform our minds so that we don't walk in the same road of destruction because everything leads to destruction. We live in a world that chose destruction when it chose against God in the beginning. And we're asking God to make things right where he, that's why we preach that God comes into our hearts to change us. Because if God changed the world and not the hearts of men, we would still have the same thing that happened in the garden where men's heart was bent on evil. And we see that even with Noah, that in the days of Noah, as it will be in the coming of the son of man, it says, we think about the evil in the world. Well, the evil in the world is is because of the hearts of men are evil and have grown cold. And their choices do make effect on someone else. But you know what? In that same moment, a man like Noah made a choice and it changed the world as well. God is after our hearts. God is after to give hope in our inside of us, not just hope around us. Because if we don't have hope as an anchor inside of us, we won't live hope on the outside. God is always about changing the outside. Because when he healed this man that was paralyzed, not only did he heal his hand, he healed his heart. And God is always after healing the things that paralyze us, not on the outside, but on the inside. And so no matter what we face in our physical world, God is always after changing our internal world. Because that's where God has decided to have his home. At the very beginning of time, he he had to have the tabernacle. And that's why me and my mom were talking about this. And when we were talking about, and she preached on it last last week, I said, you know, we talked about the Ark of the Covenant. They had to carry the presence. Because there wasn't anything holy enough to carry him. There was nothing worthy enough to carry him. He's so holy that our unholiness affected him. You know, that's why he wanted to be with us The only way he could be with us is by being carried around In a thing that he had to give the design to be built And that's why people go, out. Well, what's so wrong that when they touched it It's because he's too holy So when they touched the holy, it, it changed them It impacted them, their unholiness was too overwhelmed And it killed them dead in that spot But when Jesus died on the cross, he made us the carrier This is a big deal That he made you the thing that couldn't be even touched before. That when they had to carry the Ark of the Covenant in such a certain way because of who he was. When Jesus died, he basically essentially said, now I live in you. I have now made you the Ark of the Covenant. I have now made you the thing in which I carry myself. And that's why when Jesus came and he touched humanity, he said, this is more than just me physically healing you. This is me internally changing you. This is me changing your situation and making you whole. Because, you know, physical illness, illness is one thing. But you know what? Each one of us, if we're honest with ourselves, not only do we need physical wholeness we need internal wholeness we need emotional wholeness we need our souls healed you know as as all of us even as little children and i'm telling you there's something to this and i think that when we grow up we're told that you need to grow up and forget these things but you know what if you don't forget it it's because god wants to heal it and i remember you know as a kid you know you would say if someone said something bad to you you would say you know sticks and stones may break my bones but your words will never hurt me. Well, guess what? That was a lie from the pit of hell that we tried to tell tell other somebody else so that they wouldn't hurt us. But every single one of us has had someone shoot an arrow and a dart into our heart because of the words that they've said over us or to us, whether they meant it intentionally or intentionally. You know, and those arrows that are in our hearts are things that steal our hope. They steal our joy. They sometimes make us believe something about ourselves that might not be completely true. There is a damage that happens, not just with situations, but in words that people speak, that we speak to one another, that steal our hope, that steal the way that we think, that make us believe lies that God never intended, and they paralyze us. So in this story, they were so mad about what Jesus did. And we live in a world today that is trying to heal us another way other than the cross. That's trying to tell us there's another way of self-help. There's another way to, to get the healing than the way that Jesus wanted to heal us. But that's just not true. Because God became us. Because God took on our sin. He took on your sins. He took on your iniquities. He took on the words that people spoke over you. He took on every single dash and thing that affected your life that paralyzed you. When Jesus died on the cross, he took everything that paralyzed your life. He took on every single obstacle that you would face in your life, knowing how it would hurt your heart. We have a God who came near And we live in a world that says there has to be another way. It takes a lot of wisdom to escape the cross. And my boss said that once, and it really spoke to me. Said the world seeks a lot of wisdom to escape the cross. When you think about it, it's so true. They try, I mean, I'm not against counseling. I think counseling is a God gift because the Holy Spirit is a counselor. And so a lot of times we do need counseling just so that we can get right, get our mind right. And get our hearts right. There's nothing wrong with that at all, but a lot of people will read self-help books or you know try to to numb themselves of the pain. You know, and I've done that myself. And the Lord com- confronted me and He said, "You cannot handle your reality, so you're trying to escape it." Because sometimes the reality, and, and you'll get this, sometimes reality is too much loss, or the reality of just you know you know I, I have a mother who's continually sick, and that hurts me. You know, sometimes that's too much. And, you know, and I know I'm not the only one who has felt that way about something in their life in this room, you know, or a, or a broken relationship or something that you're trying to reconcile with people that you love who might not be living the way that God wants them to live. I mean, we, we all have something like that that has hurt us deeply or that we have been conflicted over. But Jesus has come to give us hope. Jesus has come to paralyze us or to unparalyze what has been paralyzed in our life. And so when I was reading that, I thought it was interesting because a lot of the people, of course, who were doing this were in the church, you know, and, and sometimes we have church pain and church hurt because of people who love Jesus, but they can't see the bigger picture of what he sees because based on their own, basically, as he showed it, your own teachings, your own human tradition. And, and so God always wants to heal us. I, I will tell you that no matter if I, I don't care if 100 people in my life have died God always wants to heal, and God always wants to resurrect. That does not change who he is. And so the biggest thing for all of us is not changing who God really is, like because of the hurt we've experienced. And that's what happens a lot in the church, and that happens to pastors too, that they preach a different Jesus because they've been hurt. And so they're trying to reconcile the Jesus that is true with the one with what they've experienced. And um and that's why we have a relationship with him because that's why we get to talk to him about I don't understand this. Can you help me understand what's happened? Can you come explain this? I'm upset. Come show me. I'm upset with you. That those are normal things but that's what a relationship with Jesus is all about. And that's where the hope comes in is when we're actually able to be honest with ourselves with something that's hurt us and come to Jesus and go, I have a par- I have something paralyzed in my own life. So now I want you to turn to, if I totally took it out of here, it's still in Mark. I'm going to have to read the subtitles because I took it out. Why did I do that? Okay, yes, it is going to be Mark 4. So we're just going one little page over. And this is going to be the power of hope and the power of faith. and I, And it's and hopefully this will make sense. So we're going to look at verse 30, the parable of the mustard seed. What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Asked Jesus. What parable shall we use to explain it? I love the Lord when he asks questions that he knows he's going to answer. <laughs> what shall we use? Uh, it's like my, I did a magic trick and. um, it's so bad. Okay, so I'm going to I'm going to say this is a side note, but this you'll understand this. So, um I I learned a magic trick where you can, you know, take a coin, make it disappear, bring it back. I'm horrible at it. I always I it's funny because uh I had a on, on Easter I showed it to my family and they were cracking up because um they would be across the table and I can't reach them, you know. And I'd be like, "What's this behind your ear?" And they were like, you're like midair trying to, <laughs> they're like, that doesn't even make sense. And then you have to go back into the thing to bring it out. Like, I, I mean, I messed up the whole thing, but it, it's amazing when Jesus asks a question that he knows it's going to be asked, it reminds me of my magic trick. It's like, you know, what is this going to be? Oh, here's your coin. You know, <laughs> um, Jesus, Jesus is so, if we don't see how Jesus is actually fun in some of this, we, I think sometimes he is so holy but he's actually so cool. He's so fun that he's about, to, he's about to drop a bomb on them. He's about to show them, like, okay, what is, what is my kingdom like? What shall we compare it to? So he said, it is like this, a man who takes a mustard seed, the smallest seed in the world. Can you imagine that? Has, has anybody seen a mustard seed? A mustard seed, I mean, it is, am I exaggerating to say it's that big? I mean, it, is, it, is the, it literally is the smallest of all seeds. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's even probably smaller than that. Um, we used to sell them at the book, Christian bookstore. You know, people would be walking around with little mustard seed necklaces, cute. Um, it's a small seed of the world, and it plants in the ground. After a while, it grows up and becomes the biggest of all the plants. Now, can you imagine that, that the smallest seed creates this huge, enormous product, you know? And it becomes the biggest of all plants. It puts out such large branches that the birds come and make their nest in its shade. Jesus preached his message to the people using many other parables like this. He told them as much as they could understand. He would not speak to them without using parables. But when he was alone with the disciples, he would explain everything to them. All right. So with the the small seed. And, and this is what I was thinking in the thing of that, is that sometimes when you're paralyzed and all that stuff, you know, I, I love church. I love church. I love church. I love church. I think one of the greatest miss messages of the church is faith. And the reason I say that is that I have heard most of my life, and I, I actually, I, I hate this, because it has made people leave the church. It has hurt people that... We, there has been always a message like, you don't have enough faith. You don't have enough faith. You don't have enough faith. That, that happened because you didn't have enough faith. And to me, it isn't, that, isn't, that can't be the truth. Because if mustard seed faith is this big, if Jesus says this is what it's like, that if you have faith that's this much, that it can even move mountains and cast them into the sea, then it isn't the fact that there isn't faith. Sometimes it's just that we want it instantly, and then we lose hope. And so because this much faith for a long period period of time still moves mountains. You know, if you have a little bit of hope, a little bit of hope can go a long way. And we have seen too many movies that show us that. Star Wars, you know, you have this whole little group of resistance, and they're like, there's no hope. They're going to come get us, you know, and this little group believes just a little bit, even in the midst, and it, and sometimes it's just a fleeting hope. It's just like, maybe this will work you know, but that little bit of hope is enough to turn the whole story around, and we love those kind of stories, we love that where it's like the impossible happens, you know, most guys, like my father, he loved movies where one guy kicked a thousand men's butts, you know, I mean, and I always think, you know how humanly impossible, and I'm thinking, and who waits their turn to like, when you all just go, all right, here he is, boom, he's gone, you know, but I love that there's like a hundred men, and they're all like, Waiting to take on this guy I'm like this is so not real But there's something about An impossible situation Being taken on by something So insignificant That moves our hearts But I think it's a God given thing To be honest with you Because God tells us that We can take the smallest amount of faith And move something that seems impossible And that's why I go It isn't that We don't have hope It's that we just have to keep hoping a little longer. It's that we just have to have faith a little longer. And you know what the amazing thing to me is that this person's faith, when he says what it's like, that his faith actually produces for other things. Because look, that the branches are long enough that the birds feast from it that the birds come and take their shelter under it, There is that's why we do prayer and praise. Because when I hear your stories, it's the branch from which I lay on and go, if he does it for them, he can do it for me. And that's how we also spread hope to one another. Is that not only does Jesus come to give us hope, he uses us to be that hope dealer. To go, no matter your situation, just hope a little longer. Just have faith a little longer. You know, just don't give up. The whole thing about the Christian walk is just not giving up. It's just if you don't quit, you win. That doesn't mean that you're not going to have times where you feel like you're crawling. But you know what? There's going to be a time I'm going to come alongside of you and crawl and go, it's just right there. It's just right there. And even with our, our home right now, we ha- it's, it's, it's like gassed us. And I said, you know, and my mom's like, you, you know, and I mean, we all have that human moment where it's like, should I just quit? And I thought, "Oh my gosh, we literally have like two things left." I thought, "Let's just let's just keep our I'm like, we're right there. We're right there." And it's funny cuz I go, "How are we going to have strength for the next leg?" But we just keep hoping a little longer. We keep just resting on our strength because I love that it says that his hope isn't reliant just on you, it's on him. Your faith increases as you go to him. Your cre- your your faith increases as you read his word. Your faith increases as you spend time with the Lord and go, what you did for David, you'll do for me. What you did for Paul, you'll do for me because you're no respecter of persons and I'm your friend. The enemy has tried to lie to us and steal our hope because if he steals your hope, he steals your belief. If he steals your joy, he steals your belief. And and it says those who come to him must believe that he is. And, and that's everything. That's the only way we get to heaven, to be honest, friends, is our belief. That's the only thing that you will see over and over and over. Because the enemy tells you it's your good works, it's you doing good deeds. But at the end of the day, it means nothing. He says it's those who believe. You know, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, then you will be saved. So why does the enemy come against your hope? Why does he come against your joy? Why does he come against your faith? Because those who believe are saved. Those who believe. And when you believe, you live different. And when you have hope, you live different. And when you have faith, you live different. Because when we live as people who have hope and have faith, we see that there is nothing impossible for our God. And I think it's amazing that's our that's our state capital motto. With God, nothing's impossible. Or with with God all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. So what has told you that nothing is possible for you with God? It is not Him. But maybe it's the voices, just like that, when that man was paralyzed. Because guess what? There's voices all around us all the time. There's Jesus telling you that I am your hope and I can heal you. And there's people around you and their voices in this world that are saying He doesn't care. He doesn't need to. What? This is just your fate. This just is set. This is who you are. He doesn't need to heal the pain. Just numb it a little longer with something else. He cares about them. He doesn't care about you. There's always something that he cares more about something else or someone else than you. That's the biggest lie that the enemy has told us. Because if he numbers the hair on your heads and he counts the tears that you cry, then how is he not concerned about healing the things that, heal, that have broken your heart? He is the hope dealer. And he wants to give hope to you today. So in closing today. Your faith is all that's needed. And you might feel like, I don't know if I have, you know, what is, what is, what is faith? Well, Hebrews, Hebrews tells us very clearly that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So it's hoping for something you don't see right now and knowing that he's going to bring it to pass. So today, what do you need to hope for? What do you need to believe God for? You know, and I'm being honest, the older I get, the more I, I understand things a little bit better as we all do. And I, and guess what, 30 years from now, I'll understand things way better than I do right now. But unless Jesus doesn't come back then, but, but the older I get, I realize that things have hurt me in my life way more than I ever imagined. You know, there's things that I remember from a child that have hurt me. Things as an adult that have hurt me other, it's words being made fun of, rejection, whether it is things people have accused me of, whether it's things in my life that I lost from my father to my grandfather to my stepfather to my grandmothers, my other grandfather. I mean, whether it's something that I thought would happen and it didn't happen, you know, just 100% being real, not being married, not having kids, you know, not being in the situation that I dreamed of as a little girl that I would be in at 36 years old. I have my own things that I face, and I go, God, this didn't happen the way I thought it would turn out. You know, some of you have loved and have lost. Some of you have believed and have had your hopes dashed. But today I, I, I will tell you that Jesus will always heal those things that paralyze us. And sometimes the biggest person, there's, sometimes there's other people we have to forgive, yes. Sometimes we have to forgive ourselves because sometimes, sometimes we paralyze ourselves because we can't forgive ourselves for something that has happened or an opportunity that we've missed, something that we wish we would have done differently or something that we wish would have changed and we were a part of it. But sometimes we have to forgive God. And and some, and some today might need to forgive God for something that didn't happen and go, you know, Lord, whether I admit it or not, I've held an offense at you. I've had an offense in my heart about something in my life that didn't change or something that happened. And in that moment, I'm going to tell you, Jesus is going to meet you in that. And he's going to tell you, for one, that he loves you, that he's sorry. And he's going to show you his heart on the situation. And if we're ready today, God can do something miraculous in our hearts where we don't leave here paralyzed. And I think it's amazing every time Jesus healed someone who was paralyzed, the joy that felt filled their hearts The hope that filled their hearts that actually became the message that they told other people, look what God did for me. He took something that was impossible and made it possible. And let me tell you, the thing that paralyzes you is the message that God has for you to spread to the world about who he is and what he's like. But we partner with that. We partner with him by giving, because what this man had to do is extend his hand to Jesus to be healed. When Jesus said, would you give me your hand? He had to ignore all the other voices that were screaming at him and choose which voice he was going to listen or respond to. Because he could have walked away and went, you know, this, because he risked his life. He risked his life with the healing. And it costs us everything to follow Jesus. And and it costs us sometimes everything to give him our pain. But today he could take it. And he wants to take it. So we're going to pray this morning. And and I'm going to, we're just going to close our eyes. And, um. And you, and if you want to play, you can. But you know what? You don't have to right now. Sometimes we can just have our own moment and be in silence. And you know, so let's let's just let's just close our eyes, and we're going to talk to Jesus this morning. This morning, you might have something that when I was preaching, it came to your mind. Whether it was something, some might have one, some might have multiple things that 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 came to their mind. Some might not feel anything and, and that's okay. But for those who who something came to your mind today, if something that might've paralyzed you, whether it was words, whether it was a situation, no matter what, you already know it. That today, if you're willing to just give it to Jesus, I'm not even looking at you. I, I, this is really a you and Jesus moment that has to, that we're gonna, we're gonna outstretch our hand today like that paralyzed man. And we're gonna say, Jesus, I, I'm giving you the thing that has paralyzed my life. This is really a you and Jesus moment. Like I said, I'm not, I'm not looking. I encourage us all not to look around today because we need this holy moment with Jesus to say, Jesus, I want you to take the thing that has paralyzed me in my life. We're just gonna give him this moment. It takes, it takes a lot of boldness to give him this. It takes a lot of faith. Jesus, this morning, we give you the things that have paralyzed our life. Father, we ask that you would come into the pain this morning, that we release it to you, Jesus, and that we say that you are the healer, and that by your stripes you have made us whole. But by your relationship, you have made us loved, and as sons and daughters. Lord God, I just ask this morning that you would take the thing that has hurt us, that you would take the thing that has paralyzed us, that you would take the thing that has stolen hope and faith, from us, Father. Maybe it's even the pain of somebody else going through something and it's stolen our hope. Lord God, I pray that you would take it this morning, that you would exchange it for your wholeness, Father. I thank you for those this morning who are giving it in faith, God, that for some, this is all the faith that they have to give to you to say, I hurt, but I don't know how to take it away. I have had pain in my life and I've been paralyzed in my faith, but I don't know how to change it. That we say it's in your hands now, Jesus that we give it to you and we place it in your hands and we say, make us whole today. Make us whole today, Lord Jesus. We thank you that today is a new day for all of us who believe that we have the hope inside of us and come bring hope into the broken areas, to the broken places. Holy Spirit, right now I ask that you would come and bring hope healing to the brokenness, that you would bring hope to the hopeless, that when Jesus said you said that you came, this is why you came, is that you would restore the broken places, that you would come and make us whole. So Lord, thank you that your brokenness is our wholeness this morning. Give answers to those who need it, and for those give peace who have had no peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I pray